Thanks, Devin. So we get music for Brandon and music for everybody else, right? All right. Uh, excited you're here. Uh, looking forward to what God has for us as we uh, get back to our series in the book of Revelation. And because of that, we need to pray one more time because uh, that's quite a bit of a big switch from doing a series on transformation, um, particularly out of just two verses for five weeks, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And now we're going to take a larger section uh, in the midst of a larger theme. And um, we want God to really speak into our hearts. So let's pray one more time. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for today, and we pray as we, we look in your word that you might really speak to us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. And at this time, our children will go to Children's Church and uh, trust that God will really speak into their lives this morning. Have you ever had something happen to you, and after it happened, you go, I, I just don't believe that happened to me? Have you ever had that happen? Uh, that happens actually quite a few times to me, but we won't go through that journey. But the, the most recent thing that happened to me that I couldn't believe just happened to me was something normal. Um, I needed to have an oil change. I used to change my own oil, and then I said, this is not worth the trouble. So I took my, my vehicle in to my mechanic, and he, I went there early in the morning and changed, uh, he changed the oil. And he, uh, he's had my vehicles for a variety of things. And so he always does a kind of once over to check everything to see if something I've neglected to change or to work on or something to deteriorate or whatever. And he said, everything looks great except for one thing. And he said, uh, you know that container, that plastic container that holds uh, the soapy water that you push, you know, when you want your windshield wipers to kind of clean off the dust that's going on in your vehicle so you can see a little bit better? He said, it's, uh, it's all messed up. And I'm thinking, well, how could that be? I drive a luxury car. A Hyundai Accent, you know, and so on this, on this Hyundai Accent, how could this very expensive part of this vehicle uh, deteriorate? It's not that old of a car, but I said, well, is it just maybe the sun or this deteriorate over time, you know, three years? It didn't seem like a long time or four years. And he said, uh, no, it's, it's not deterioration. It's not that old. And I said, well, what is it? He said, well, rats. You see, rats, you know, have come up and they've, they've bitten into that plastic container and uh, it's, it's ripped it all apart. And I'm thinking, I don't believe this just happened to me. I mean, <laughs> rats in, in Orange County, and that's not supposed to happen. And, uh, and just in case you think I haven't been doing some due diligence in my house, it wasn't at my house. She said, do you ever park by a, a dumpster? And, and so some of you might be careful about parking where I normally park by that dumpster because there might be some, no. That's what he thought it might be, rats from a dumpster. And I'm thinking, you know, I just don't believe this happening. So I, I pumped the, I pumped, I, I tripped the, the hood, you know, whatever you do to get the hood up, you know. And, and um, I looked at it, and you could see there were, there were bite marks on my plastic container that holds my washer water for the windshield wipers. Now, that is not the most difficult or traumatic thing that has ever happened to me, and I'm sure to you as well. But there are things that happen to you, you think, I just don't believe that just happened and how it happened. And when we get to a book like the book of Revelation, really, if, if you're at all awake when you're reading this book and, and you're reading all the things that are happening, you're thinking, this is hard to believe that this is going to happen. And even though we might not understand everything in this book in terms of its details, but we understand the stuff on the surface and you're saying, ah, it's hard to believe it's going to happen. It's going to happen that way. And it uses figurative language as well as literal language in unveiling what's going to go on in the future. But even the section we're going to look at today, out of the kind of the, the satanic trilogy, there's going to be frogs coming out of their mouth. It's going to put destruction 
in this land. And, and I just preface this as we begin to look at this section is I, I want you to understand there are things that happen now in our life we just, we just can't explain or understand or, or just mesmerize. But why did it have to happen? And if, why did it have to happen? Why did it have to happen to me? There's going to come a period of time, as Jesus said, that's going to be like no other time. In the past, obviously right now in the present, and particularly even in the future, there's going to be a unique time in history when everything happens that's unexplainable from a human perspective. And so this morning, I was really tempted to do this huge review of where we've been, but I'm going to jump right into it. I'm going to give a kind of a big picture idea. But we're going, to, we're going to look at a chapter today that you could literally say is a great chapter in the Bible. And the reason I say that is not because, you know, as people rate chapters in the Bible, and they're all great, but it, why would you call this a great chapter? Because the word great is used 12 times in the text. It's not always translated great. But there is this word that's used throughout this sort, uh, section of Scripture, 21 verses long, that speaks about the, the mega, great, loud things God is going to do. And, and so this morning, I've entitled the message, God Is, and you'll kind of get the idea. I've got a very s- simple point this morning. Uh, but you're going to see how a God, in the midst of what His told us and anyone else who has ears to hear, this is going to happen and you need to be prepared. And you can prepare now for whatever's going to happen in the future. But you've got to hear his words and heed or keep his words. And really, the book of Revelation begins with those statements in terms of what is the blessing of this book. And the word blessing uh, is used in a number of different ways, but the, the, the The Greek word translated blessing here, or blessed, is is the word for happy. In Revelation 1-3, it's on your outline this morning, blessed or happy is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, the prophecy, and heed, which means keep, keep the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Now, the the idea of the time is near is not that it's going to happen in the next microsecond, but when it happens, it's going to happen rapidly. And so you need to be prepared before this, which God has told us, is unleashed on this planet. Now, this book is kind of outlined uh, in the text fairly clearly and simply. In the first chapter, it speaks about that. He he talks about the past, the present, and the future. Chapter 1 really looks at it from the revelation that was given to John. And the revelation is, first of all, which is most important, important is, well, Let's look at who God is, and particularly look at who Jesus is. And when Jesus came the first time, among other things, he was considered meek and mild. When, when people would accuse him of all kinds of things, he would often just remain silent. He would not be defensive. He was, though, he was that one who would, who would come up to children, and they would run to him rather than run away from him. And, and so he was the personification of that attribute of God that we all cherish, which was love. And and people came to Jesus because they knew he was the one who would embrace them with agape love. And and that's that's what John saw in his experience with Jesus. But then in the revelation of this book, he sees Jesus in his power and glory and might. 
and his holiness. And he's always been that way, but, he's, but he now sees even more clearly who is this one I've given my entire life to. And so he looks at how Jesus was in the past as well as is in the present and the future, but he, he gives him that, that look in the past to, to see that he is the one who was and is and is to come. And in chapters 2 and 3 of this 22-chapter book, he, he gives them a, a look at God's messages to the churches then and now. And, and the message to the churches are messages that we give people. It, you know, there's good news we tell people, and then there's the opposite news, which is what? Bad news. And so he, he, he warns these churches as well as encourages these churches. There's some things you're doing well, and there's some things you're not doing well. And, and you are accountable if you name the name of Christ individually or collectively to follow my plan for you. And, and so he, he teaches the churches the, the things they're doing well and encourages them. And then he warns them about the things they're not doing well. And then from chapters 4 through the rest of the book, we see about the things that are going to happen in the future. And one of the interesting things about that from 4 through 22, even though the word church was used so many times in chapters 2 and 3, we don't even hear the word church until the last chapter. And that's because the church is gone during this period of time. And I'm convinced that what he's speaking here is giving warnings, particularly for us now, to prepare before this actually happens. But the major warnings are for the people who are going to be here, that generation. And say, look, this is what's going to happen. And you now need to choose which side you're going to be on if you're in that, that whole journey. So we have the past and the present and the future. But to put Revelation in its perspective, you need to realize that it really has two major themes. It's who is coming and what is coming. And we've talked about it in the past, and, and we're going to continue as we go through this book. Who is coming? Jesus is coming in all his power and might. And what is coming? It's the unveiling of God's judgments and his wrath. But I want to give my point, my application point in the beginning before we look at the detail in the chapter that we're looking at. Well, how should we respond to that? How should we respond to who is coming and what is coming? Well, there's many responses, but let me just put them simply this way. How are you to respond about what God unveils in this book? First of all, is to come to him and recognize that God is to be loved. Because in the midst of the judgments that are come, we have the message of hope that he is rescuing people during this period of time, as well as our time. And that's the great expression of, of who God is in, in the midst of us being unworthy of anything from God. The Bible says our heart, before we know Christ, is desperately wicked. And, and Romans 3 says that no one really seeks after good. You know, we compare ourselves with other, well, I know I'm not as bad as that person. If I'm not as bad as that person, that means I must be pretty what? Good. But, but God says, look, I, I, I see everything, and, and I can hear everything, and I can look into your mind, and I can examine every single thought. Would any of us want to put on the screen every thought we've, we've had up for judgment? And so God, in the midst of us being totally unworthy, says, I love you so much. I'm willing to send my son to die for every sin that you've committed. And so as we think about the message of this entire book, as well as the book of Revelation, our response is to, to recognize that God is to be loved. And, and we can know whether we're doing that because it's not just our words out of our mouth. It's how do we treat the people that he's created? God created everyone in his image. And those who know him, he now gives them a, a, a new nature. But how do we treat people 
How do we know if we love God? 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So if our response to people is not love, then we have to question our, our heart and mind, is our response to God truly love? And this is the mess of the book. In 1 John 2, 4, one of the churches, the first church, he says this, but I have this against you, and it's a pretty simple point, that you have left your first what? Love. And so the mess of this book is, and this corresponds to what Jesus said, that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors ourselves. It speaks that we are called as, as God's people to love. And he say a first love. And that first love, I have to be careful, this whole intro is going to be the message again, is that it really speaks about the character of our love and the centrality of our love. We, don't, we, are, we are called to a much higher love, God's love, than a human love. Because our human love is, I, I will treat you well if you treat me well, right? I'll love you if you love me back. But God's love, the character of God's love is, is he loves those who are undeserving, and so we need to be willing to love others who are undeserving. And, and, and he describes love this way in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not jealous. It's not brag. It's not arrogant. It does not seek its own. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It doesn't even take into account how wrong stuff is. It's a forgiving relationship. That's, that's the character of God's love and the character of the love he wants us to have. And then there's the centrality of our love. Do we love God first? So the response to this book is that we need to recognize that God is a God to be loved. But really, here's the message of this chapter. God is not only a God to be loved, God is a God to be feared. And this is throughout the entire Old Testament and New Testament. And you're going to see some of that this week in your life groups. In Matthew 10, 28, this is, this is a word from Jesus that many people think it's actually talking about Satan, but it's not. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. He's speaking about God because God brings the judgment about who enter into his kingdom and who will spend eternity apart from him. That's who needs to be feared. And then even the book of Revelation, Revelation 14, 7, uh, and he said with a loud voice, the angelic being, fear God. This isn't a command form. This isn't say, well, no, this doesn't apply to you know, people. No, this applies to everyone. Fear God. And give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. Now, now we've talked about this in the past. We're, we're talking here, we're, we're not to be in the sense of scared of God. We even sang a, a, a worship chorus this morning that he takes away all of our fears. And, and you can put some Bible verses to that. The Bible says that um, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Well, okay, then why am I supposed to fear God if he's not given us that spirit? In 1 John it says that perfect love casts out all 
fear. But the primary application of that is, is that we don't fear the world. We don't fear, you know, the rats are going to take away our plastic thing and our expensive Hyundai accent and not allow me to wash my windshield. You know, we don't, we don't fear the things that happen on a natural level that we can't explain. But the, the fear he's talking about here is that we recognize that, that, that we are accountable to God. You know, even within the parental model of, of God being our father, as we think about on, on a personal level, our fathers, we fear them because we're accountable to them. When I, when I messed up and my mom didn't want to apply the discipline, she says, just wait till your what? Father comes home. Now, I, I, don't, I don't want to be so spiritual and say, well, I had this reverential awe for my father to come home. No, I had a fear because I was going to be accountable to him. And I was going to be facing his displeasure. And so there's that, that line of healthy fear. You know, standing on the edge of Grand, the Grand Canyon and, and, and just be mesmerized by its beauty, but recognizing if you get too close to the edge, you might what? You might fall. That's a healthy fear. So God is, is a God to be loved, and God is a God to be feared. And, and as you look, and we're going to basically race through Revelation 16, and we could, we could get bogged down in all the details, but we're just going to see God warning this planet and everyone on it. There's judgment coming. There's a wrath, a pouring out of God's wrath, and, and that wrath of God is a great wrath. The word for great in the New Testament is the word mega. And we use that word mega in some ways. And, you know, if a musician you know, produces this song, maybe some of the producers or the people here, this is going to be a what kind of a hit? A mega hit. Even now in the Christian world, we kind of adopted that. If a church grows to a certain size, it's a huge size, we call it what kind of a church? A mega church. Now, now, when we think about God's wrath here, let, let's not reduce it to a, you know, a little temper tantrum by a two- or three-year-old. This is a mega wrath. And it's from a just and holy God. And somehow, in the balance of loving God and having a healthy fear of God, this is who God is. And again, as God pours out his wrath, and we're going to see these things, and it's, it's going to be, it's hard to imagine that this is going to happen, and even how it's going to happen. And it's going to happen rapidly at the place we are now. I believe in the, the whole scope of things. We're, we're at the very end of that seven-year period of tribulation. We, we've already had a taste of God's wrath in, in the sealed judgments, which, if you remember that, you know, there was a book that was open, and there was only one worthy open at that book, and it was Jesus to to unleash the judgments of God from that book that recorded what he was to do. And then there were the trumpet judgments as, as God announced in a loud way that these things were going to happen. And, and there are trumpets that celebrate and there are trumpets that, that warn. And now we have the picture there's going to be these bowl judgments and these bowls are like filled with the wrath, the anger 
of God, and it's going to be poured out on the world. It's going to happen in rapid fashion. And in the midst of seeing that, application for us is that it should, it should put a holy fear in our lives that, that we want to do nothing that, that dishonors our God in any way in how we live, but it ought to give us a passion for people who don't know Jesus. Not that we would in any way delight that they are facing this judgment, but to warn them that this judgment is coming. So Revelation 16, a great chapter, but a chapter that's filled with the realization that we should fear God. Revelation 16, beginning with verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple. John is speaking to his experience, a loud voice. And actually the word loud is here, the mega. It's, it's It's a mega voice. It's a great voice. From the temple, which is the temple in heaven, which simply is a, a symbol of the manifest presence of God, saying to the seven angels, the messengers, heavenly messengers, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first heavenly messenger, the first angel, went out and poured out his bowl on the earth. And what we're going to see now in just rapid fashion, what's going to happen at the end of the age? And the first thing, before we read it, it's, there's going to be unbearable physical experiences that people will, will have. And they will be in the form of, of things that will break out on their skin. It will be unbearable sores. Verse 2, he says this. So the, so the angel went out and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the men who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. And so in this particular setting, and this is not true with every part of the wraths of God that poured out in this world, but this is, this is selective. There will be people who will be marked because they've taken on the physical mark of the, of the, uh, of the beast that, that only these will get these sores that are just unbearable. And so there will be even a physical demonstration of the mercy and grace of God for those who don't get it and those who do. And remember, remember Job, his experience, when as a righteous man, and this is why I think that some of the wrath of God, even the believers experience, because God never says that we are going to be totally free from the the fallenness of this world and the consequences of the fallenness of this world bring on everyone. But remember in Job chapter 2, and I didn't put these references down here, uh, but Job chapter 2, verses uh, 7 through, we'll go 10. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils. These boils are actually given by God in Revelation. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. You ever had a cold sore? Man, I, I start whining like a baby when that happens to me. Just one of them. You know, oh, man, my mouth just, oh, I can't stand it. This is from the head of the toes to the top of the head. I mean, this is everywhere. And Job, and he took a pot shirt to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. And in case we want a commentary, just, well, how bad was he feeling? What did his wife say to him? And his wife said, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Because even though Satan was an instrument by which Job got the sores, you know, Job's wife was a pretty good theologian. 
Look, I don't care what Satan does. You're much more powerful than Satan. You can prevent anything from happening. Amen? And anything that happens, I mean, those rats that ate my little, you know, plastic thing, God could have stopped that. And this was so bad, however. Alice didn't tell me to curse God and die because of our little... But, you know, that... You know, Joe's wife did. This is so humiliating and so painful. Just end it all. But Job responds this way. You, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. But this is going to be epidemic, pandemic, the physical suffering of people who have rebelled against God. Second bowl of judgment. Look at verse 3. The second angel poured out the bowl into the sea, and it became blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. And there have been some partial judgments like this in the time of Exodus and even earlier in the, the judgments of Revelation, but now every sea, every ocean on this planet will be turned to blood, and everything within it probably dies. Can you imagine the stench? Can you imagine the, the repercussions of that? The food supply is, in a major way, is like destroyed. So, so I guess we could say God's getting people's attention here, right? He said, look at, the, and let me just say this. I was just thinking about this passage. When bad things happen, you know, when trees fall on houses, okay, you know, or, you know, something else happens, you know, an earthquake or a tornado or what it might be. We call it a what kind of a God? A, a, an act of God. And I was just thinking about this. You know, things that happen, they're not only acts of God, but we need to be very careful. They're not accidents of God. And particularly here, th this is not accidental on God's part. This is purposeful. And the purpose is to, is to warn people to rattle their cages. And there's still opportunity to repent, but we're going to see most of them run from that. The third judgment. Not on only deadly blood in the seas of the oceans, but now deadly blood in fresh water. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. And, and, and so now you're thinking not only in terms of that place in which people get food, all the fish that are in the oceans, but... But now the drinking water, all the freshwater streams are destroyed. Now, now those, those who are rich, you know, they, they might have a whole supply of bottled water, right? Maybe that's kind of the trend why we have bottled water. There might be all kinds of other things that are in containers. But now the, the world's source of liquid that nourishes people is gone. And, and see, this is one of the reasons why we know this is at the very end before the end happens because there isn't much timeline there there's some ways you can survive for a period of time but you're looking and saying there's no hope for the future now if you take a step back and you're really honest you say, now god isn't in this and i don't mean this as a pun isn't this a little overkill i mean god got I me mean, wait a minute I, this, this is overwhelming and I think God kind of predicted we might think and feel that way. So he, he writes these words to John, or he speaks these words into John. Verse 5, And I heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous are you, speaking of God. This is an angel commenting on 
God Almighty, who are and who were, O Holy One, because you judged these things. And then he kind of commentates on it in verses 6 and 7. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. Why? Because they deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. You know, as a parent, um, part of our responsibility as parents is to you know, discipline your children. And if you have more than one, you have to choose. Now, who did that, right? Have anybody had that experience? Well, in our family, this, I have to be careful of this illustration. Okay, in my, our family, uh, there was one of our children that had a tendency to get in trouble more often than the other, uh, others. And so when something happened, something would crash, something would break in our house. We knew who did it. It was Mark who did it, all right? And so I have to admit that often we would say, Mark, you know, and, and most of the time he didn't cry out with a, you know, you know false, uh, I didn't do it. But one time he did, he said, I didn't do it. And we said, yes, you did. And then we found out later he didn't do it, you know. And, you know, we gave judgments that weren't, weren't righteous, weren't just. He didn't deserve it. But that's not how God acts. Every judgment he gives is deserving. And the picture here is, okay, I've turned these things into blood, the oceans and the fresh water. Just to illustrate to you, you have poured out the blood of my people. You have slaughtered innocent people. And you're simply getting what you've done to others. The fourth bowl of God's judgment. Verse 8. The fourth angel poured out the bowl upon the sun and it was given it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Now, this, this last phrase is a, is a signature statement about people when, when bad things happen particularly when they are the cause of them, they are guilty. Either you're going to repent or you're going to speak evil of those who've caught you and have given you the consequences for your action. And see, what happens here in the midst of God doing global things, they don't turn and humble themselves before God. They just speak evil of the one who gives the things to them. They don't fear God. This is global warming to the max. But it will not be a human footprint. This will be God's big foot of heat on this planet. And it doesn't matter how much smoke, uh, smoke, sunscreen you've got in the, in the cabinet. It will not do the job. The fifth bowl, verse 10. Then the angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his, and his kingdom be, became darkened and they gnawed their tongues because of pain. They were, they were so overwhelmed by it. And again, they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and they did not repeat of their deeds. I was just uh, talking to Michael Burns last, last night and his, uh, every time uh, you, you celebrate or involve in a Halloween event, just remember it's Michael Burns' birthday, okay? So we, we just do it in honor of him. But, but it, he, was, he was talking about, you know, children. It, it, it's interesting when children, you know, are born and, and all of a sudden, you know, they, they have no fear at all, it seems like, to begin with. And all of a sudden, 
one night happens and they want to light it on in their room, right? Because the darkness fills them with the unknown and, and what could happen. And I think we've all been in situations where we maybe we've, we've entered into a place and we can't see anything. You know, sometimes it happens when you're driving. You know, hit that fog. <sighs> you know, what do I do? I can't go backwards, can't go forwards. What, what am I going to do? I can't see. And so God's going to put the fear of life in them by just darkening every place. But instead of crying out help, and hopefully that's what you do when you hit that fog, bank of fog, where you, 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 know, you can't see easily where to drive. You're saying, God, you got to help me. I, I, I'll try to do the best I can to get out of this. But they don't cry a, a prayer of help. They just speak evil of the one. That's what blasphemy means, to speak evil of. Of the God who allowed it to happen. The next bull, the sixth bull. Verses 10. That was, no, that was, that was the fifth. Now let, let's go to the sixth. Verse 12. The sixth angel poured out the bull on the great river, the Euphrates, which is about 1,800 miles long. And its water was dried up so that that way would be prepared for the kings from the east. And he said, well, how did God do that? Well, that heat that came in the fourth bowl, that came out to dry up this gigantic river that would have prevented what was going to happen, that God was allowing to happen by design, as the kings from the east and the orient began to rise up to think that they could do battle against God. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast, the dragon is the picture of Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet was the, was the prophet, the religious man of the Antichrist. These three unclean spirits like frogs. And you're thinking, why, why would you call them frogs? And do I think an actual frog came out of the mouth of the Antichrist or out of the prophet? I mean, God could do it that way. But I think this is symbolic of, of that which is slimy and just, you know, that which, you know, you don't want to play with unless you're a little kid that you're thinking you're going to cut off the legs. What my kids used to do, they put the frogs in this one of these launchers. Oh, I'm sorry about that. But anyway, is that, the, that's, her, their mom let them do that, not their dad. But anyway, you know, it, it, it's just picture of something slimy that's about to happen. And he says, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out of the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. So just be on the alert. And they gather them together in the place which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. We often write it Armageddon. And Armageddon just means Mount of Megiddo. And if you've ever been to Israel, it's, it's this plain 60 miles wide, and there are hills around it. And it's, many of the great battles of all history have been fought there. And, and what happens in this, last, this next to last bowl of wrath is God allows those who are the enemies of God to gather together in a, in a supernatural way to, to come together to fight God, not only on that plain, but throughout all of God's land, to do battle against the one they know is doing all this, which is Jesus. And then the last bowl to be poured out, which is kind of a, a statement about what has just happened in the sixth bowl. And, and, and this, is, this is the destruction of God's enemies. 
Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne and said, It is done. No more playing around. This, this is going to end, and it's going to end now. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. This is a shaking of this planet like no other shaking. The great city was split into three parts, which is probably the, the city of, of, of Jerusalem. And, and Zechariah chapter 14 speaks of that. And what God does in these next verses, and I won't spend a lot of time, he changes all the topographical part of this planet to prepare it for his reign here on earth. And the cities and the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath, and particularly that place where, where the Antichrist sets up his, his rule during that seven-year period of time. God's wrath will pour out specifically upon it. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And so God began to place this whole planet back to how it began in the Garden of Eden. And how does he do that? Verse 21, and the huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each. And in my reading about hailstones, most hailstones at, at its, its height is about 2 pounds. But these are 100 pounds. Came down from heaven upon men, and men continued to blaspheme God because the, the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. This, this is a, a mega chapter in the, because mega things God's wrath is poured out where people experience physical pain with the sores that are just immersing their body. The ocean, the sea are turned to blood. The heat is raised to an unbearable level. Darkness fills this planet. The armies of evil Gather together, there's that battle of Armageddon, and they are defeated. In the next chapters, we see some of the in-between things that happen in the midst of, of this section. But, but the message is, is very simple. God is a God to be loved. But God is a God to be feared. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We don't really know anything until we recognize that God is in charge. If we don't believe God's in charge, then, then we're just going to do our own thing. God is the beginning of wisdom. We won't know the right thing until we, we are convinced he is always right. And so the message of point for us is, do we have the fear of God in us? On a personal level, do you have the fear of God in you? In a moment, we're going we're gonna to remember the Lord at the communion table, the Lord's table. And really what we need to understand is that when Jesus went to the cross, the wrath of, of God in the, in the concept of the truth of God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, they're three in one, but the wrath of God was pouring out on Jesus on the cross. So that those of us who, who run to him, just begging for mercy, receiving the gift that only he can give, that we understand that he died in our place, which means he took on the wrath of God for us. 
He died so we don't have to die. And what that does, that healthy fear of God, produces a greater love for God because he did all that when we did not deserve it. Let's pray. Father, for all of us this morning, we need to determine have we come to that place where we have recognized that you are the only Savior, rescuer of our lives from that which is to come, or if we're not around during that time, that we've already sent in our reservation early. Father, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, might they admit their need and turn from their sin? Might they believe that Jesus Christ is, is the only one who could and did die for their sins and paid the penalty for their sins and rose again? And by just speaking to you, might they commit themselves to Jesus as their Lord, their leader, their God, and their Savior? And when we give ourselves to you, then you give us that which we can only receive from you, which is life. And Father, for us who know you, even as we take up communion, as we come to this table and we just come to the table and take the elements and, and partake of them when our hearts are ready, might we love you more because we have a healthy fear that we are accountable to you. Speak into each one of our lives today, and we praise in Christ's name. Amen.